Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello and welcome to the Red Box podcast and the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. This is part two of a Spin Doctor special as I sit down with Joe Tanner, who worked for Boris Johnson on two mayoral campaigns, Stuart Wood, a former advisor to Gordon Brown and Ed Miliband, and James Holt, who spent seven years spinning for the Lib Dems, and Nick Clegg. There's always one leader somewhere who's facing a uh, a leadership crisis. So, uh, James Holt, talk us through um, how to deal with that. Well, as Team Corbyn continue to play leadership challenger whack-a-mole, the distinct lack of a genuine alternative leaves them free to carry on with a lingering but not fatal sore. In more recent years, whether Boris to Cameron or Cable to Clegg, in order to be a genuine and successful threat, or even a perceived to be a successful threat, the challenger needs four things. Ambition, ideology, personality and support. The things that the Labour options currently do not have. So this is this is fascinating, and I think actually more than just Labour, the same is true of the Tory Party. That there's no obvious success for the Tory Party, and although everyone, well, not everyone, obviously, some people think Jeremy Corbyn's doing well. A lot of people think Jeremy Corbyn is not up to the job, but there's not really anyone else who immediately springs to mind as an alternative. I mean, that's the the overriding thing, and the people that are because there is undoubtedly some very bright, very good very brilliant politicians on those Labour benches. But you've seen that they yeah, are now... Could, we've got one here, exactly. sitting in the House of Lords. That actually have not got that will for the fight and at the moment don't, don't seem to be able to, to, to muster it up. And the ones that are cropping up as being talked about, you can see the, the fact that the press are clutching at straws in order to be able to do so. And also on the Tory side, actually, Theresa May has the wonderful beneficiary of the fact that no one has the appetite for it at the moment either at all. Um, so it, there is a, a complete safety that is provided. But the, the times where whether it would be Cameron or or, or Nick in the in under coalition, there was just that constant threat, that constant appearance of the other, that would always just keep them having to keep them either in check or just constantly be aware of what what may be happening. 
So, Stuart, as we're talking about the Labour Party, what's your current assessment of the uh, Labour leadership? It's all going very well. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's it's a, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty bleak time. Um, I mean, I do think that if you think about successful leaders, Tony Blair. Margaret Thatcher, David Cameron, none of them, when the leadership contest began, I think, were considered to be racing certainty. So I'm not sure that successful leaders come out of a, a sense that there's, ob- there's an obvious person who should be taking over. So I don't think that in itself is a problem for Labour. I actually think there's a lot of incredibly talented young people on the 2015-2010 intakes who may not be you know, ready yet, but I think actually have got quite a lot of confidence in them being you know, the future leaders and good future leaders. I think that the real problem with Labour is that the sport of are you anti-Corbyn or pro-Corbyn has taken over from the really important thing is what do you actually believe? What do you stand for? What do you offer the country? And because because Corbyn's leadership is so divisive inside Westminster, I mean dividing into a very small number of people who support it and a very large number of people who oppose it compared to the membership where it's different, the only game in town is are you going to stand against him, are you going to take up arms against? But in the name of what? In the name of what is the most important thing? And that's the dismal thing at Labour at the moment. And to be fair, there are some people who are setting about working out what the left should be about in the next 10, 15 years. But until you do that, the leadership challenges are going to fail because it's not clear what, what, your, what your kind of standard in the ground is all about. And I think that's the important thing that needs to be done now. Do you think the only hope for those who want a change of leader is, is that Corbyn stands down, that a, a challenge just won't work? I, I mean, I actually think that compared to sort of six months ago, I think the thing that's gone against Jeremy Corbyn recently is that a lot of the younger people that were motivated to join the party and support him and, you know, go to the ramparts for him um, are very pro-European and are very disappointed by his perceived complicity with Brexit, to put it mildly. And that, that, that affects a lot of people, particularly if you go to constituency Labour parties, a lot of people who are supportive of him on austerity and Iraq and Syria and other things have been very disappointed on that. So I think that makes him, it's a more fragile position he's in at the moment, definitely. I think also there are people who are very supportive of him who've inadvertently or otherwise said he's got till the end of the year to turn it around. And I think that's become a sort of yardstick now for him. So, you know, I, I still wish him well, but I think there's the, the problems he has are, are definitely mounting, no doubt about that. So, Joe, when you were working for Boris Johnson, particularly on his, by the time of his second mayoral campaign, he was the he was the challenger in the wings to David Cameron when he was in number ten. How how much time is it? Is it the challenger or the challengee who worries about this sort of stuff more? <laughs> I think the I think the challengee probably worries more. Um, but the I think the interesting thing there was was that actually. There was a suggestion. Well, there was always the the very clear line that was there was no vacancy. But there was also the suggestion that the only vacancy that would ever arise was already being the, the seat was being kept warm for somebody else, and it certainly wasn't Boris. It was for George Osborne. And of course, yeah. events then took over. That meant it was a very different set of events that you know that that we we saw last year. But I think your interesting point, Stuart, is actually very true. That it goes back to this issue about you know as an authentic individual how in the future when you get into the system how then you can't be true to yourself which then damages your prospects and that's exactly what's happened to Jeremy Corbyn the bizarrely bizarrely for Theresa May she was never set up to be the person that would ever deliver the exit from Europe that was never a campaign that was never a plot behind the scenes none of that and yet actually that's going to be the leader that she'll be defined as but that was never part of some you know yes i'm sure there was a plan to eventually get into that job but not on the platform that she's ended up being involved in events just intervene events do take over and that's you know that's that's ultimately um 
the thing that I think you can have the best laid plans, but it totally can can change. So for Boris, you know, we went from seeing him all the talk when he came out for um, for the out campaign, for the leave campaign. You know, this was all part of some leadership challenge. This was all part of his plan. Um, we then saw the whole situation with Gove emerge. We then saw him withdraw from the race and he was out in the wilderness. And yet suddenly coming back as foreign secretary, you know, the same old lines, exactly the same stuff about, you know, he was going to be mayor, he was going to be a disaster. He was going to be foreign secretary, he was going to be a disaster. You know, there's been bumps, but he hasn't been a disaster. You know, we can all we we can, we we can agree there'd yet. be difficulties. But, you know, but you do have a you do have that thing where some people do rise to challenges that come forward. And at the same time, you get others where actually the what they've set up and and I think this is a classic you're absolutely right about the Labour Party is all those people it's a bit like Obama in America you know you sign up to this great dream of what's going to happen it all sounds wonderful in theory when you know you're reading the book and you're all sitting comfortably but when the harsh reality of delivering stuff comes through you can't do it and you do have to compromise on all these things you never thought you would have to compromise on. And then you let a lot of people down, which my worry all along is all about this politics across the world is that you end up with a lot of disaffected people and a lot of young people who just get fed up with the system full stop and they just turn off politics, which I think is the depressing future we face. And of course, James, the Lib Dems are their own bit for turning young people off politics when uh, they promised to scrap tuition fees and then troubled them. Um, <clears throat> How uh, thanks for the reminder, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> that? yeah, we'll just, uh, that's all we've got time. <laughs> um, uh, how difficult it was it for Nick Clegg in that sort of p- period in particular? Because he, it wasn't just that he had Vince Cable in the wing. Sort yeah. of the, the, the entire country was, wanted to launch a leadership challenge against him. Yes, I mean, and it was. I mean, it was excruciating. One of the interesting things I, I uh, have. I admit that I have joined some of the protests recently and the marches recently, and you you realise I, I don't necessarily feel whether they have the, they have the same um, have the same impact, but I know that every single time someone went on the news and complained over the tuition fees, or you see that writing, and it was it was almost like a flesh wound. I mean, it genuinely it genuinely hurt, and it was. It, it sort of, it properly made us take notice, and you were constantly trying to do the negotiation and try and make sure that you were, you were, you were delivering it. But it was, I mean, you were from that from that point where it was just constant, constant pressure. I mean, I've been in leadership crisis. I've been in a few with Gordon Brown and Miliband, but sometimes you know that if something else happens, that's it. So two ex- quick examples. One is 2009 when James Pennell, who was a member of Gordon Brown's cabinet, resigned. We all rushed into Downing Street at ten o'clock. And we knew that if David Miliband resigned as well, that would be it. And he couldn't, we couldn't get hold of him for two or three hours. And in the end, he didn't resign. And it was okay-ish. Um, Ed Miliband, similarly, had various you know, difficult moments. But in late 2014, there was a sort of definitely a movement against him amongst a very small group of PLP members. But we knew that if Alan Johnson stepped out and said, I want to be leader of the Labour Party, that would be it. And he didn't. He didn't have any... I don't think he even came close to it, to be honest. But there are, it's funny, these moments when you... Sometimes you... In the air, you just know it's there isn't really anything behind the Matt Chorley phone calls about what's going on, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. And sometimes you think if if this next thing happens, it's yeah. you know I'm off to, I'm off on holiday for a couple of weeks. That was back in the days when two people resigning from the Labour front bench would be enough to, to <laughs> as opposed to there being just two people on the Labour front bench. <laughs> <laughs> and James, what, how bad did it get with Vince? Well, the thing is, Vince actually was as. Uh, 
the relationship was always good. It was all of the people around yeah. Vince that was would be doing the the sort of the Can't spinning and the the additional. Is, we, we're talking about Lord Oakshot, <laughs> aren't we? Who who yeah. who in particular commissioned some polls to yes. prove that the party yeah. would do better than. Yeah. And that was probably and Vince happened to be in China when this all came out. Yes. And, yeah, and then we had to do the, the most excruciating photo op where they went to a pub, and they, <laughs> they had a they had a pint afterwards, and there was this this. this uh, TV shot of them sitting having a pub in a pint, and they were, I just distinctly remember that a single red rose on the uh, in a vase <laughs> on, the, on the table. <laughs> yeah, it looked pretty. It was pretty brutal. But I, one of the things that I always, especially uh, respected Nick for, is his ability to actually uh, d- deal with those those sort of situations. And one of the people that also got talked about uh, at that time was also Tim Farron, who of course is now. Um, now the current leader but Nick also was always referred back to the fact that he knew how difficult it was being that person when Ming was leader yeah because he was the challenger then he was the challenger yeah. and he said it's, he was always understanding like every single thing that you say as that challenger person will get written up or interpreted as trying to undermine uh, the, the the person who is who is at the top, and actually, I think that there, I I saw it amongst the the leadership um, at the Lib Dems, whether it's you know Paddy Ming, now Tim and Nick. The relationship is incredibly good because they've all gone through. There's a, there is a special understanding of that. Of what it's like being in the in the thick of it, um, literally in the thick of it. Um, hmm. I enjoy. I enjoyed your worst. Was that your worst photo op ever? I'm just quite keen to just tease out some of your sort of nightmarish moments. There, were, of- there was a there was a market store in Romford Market, um, which we took Boris to during the first campaign, and he stopped at an underwear stall which had some crocodile snickers kind of not far from his head, and I I can't remember if it was me or my my previous business partner who's now at number ten, Katie Perrier, but um. One of us did kick him rather hard in the shins a few times, to which he started to look around and kind of pull a face. Move, we said, move. And then eventually we said, above your head. And he went, oh, and it was kind of move. And he suddenly did realise why he needed to. Um, but when you're trying to do that, when you've got 25 cameras, including kind of Vanity Fair following you, it's quite a difficult <laughs> quite a difficult thing to pull off. Well, what's reassuring is that when Katie was on last year, she mentioned exactly the same story. She claimed, she claimed credit for kicking him and drawing blood. Yeah, I mean, we... We, we kind of took quite a few knocks and, and also provided quite a few during that campaign to various people what who got you, quite Stuart? physical. Well, I've had a few. I mean, Gordon launched his um, leadership campaign, as I remember, with a microphone in front of his face uh, between him and the camera, um, which wasn't picked up. But the, the, easy, the easy winner for me is the bacon sandwich, Ed Miliband's bacon sandwich moment, um, which was six o'clock in the morning in, um, in a flower market. And um, Bob Roberts, who was his uh, press... Uh, advisor and I spent the whole day travelling with Ed on local government campaigns, different constituencies. I think we did 10, 10 local authorities in one day and we just watched it build up, build up on Twitter and, and we didn't tell Ed till the end of the day because <laughs> he, he, didn't he, know. he didn't know until about 6, 7 o'clock. Um, partly because we thought he didn't need to know because he was just doing lots of local authority visits and... and um, did he wonder why you hadn't fed him all day in case he <laughs> pictures? He was starting to get a bit hungry thinking we can't have another one of him eating something. Why is he not giving me any food? Not else that, was, that was the cruelest one. I still think it's cruel actually. I, I, I still have a slight lack of sense of humour about that because I think it was a... I think it was... I think it portray, I think it went beyond beyond the limit personally. Uh, but 
you know, I think if you're a politician, you, you put yourself up for these things, right? I think you could probably do a full po- podcast on on photo ops because they are an absolute minefield. They were always the worst thing to try and try and get right because you know hats and food. I always hated su- oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always hated that was an unusual one. Yeah. I always hated supermarkets because people that when you're doing supermarkets, people are there because they've got their weekly shop to do, and they get very irritated when you've got a politician wandering around with cameras in tow and things like. But as you mentioning hats, I always remember whenever there was a Vince Cable was going to challenge Nick Clegg, he would appear with his hat on. And I think that's probably all we've got time for. But, James, we can't let you go without discussing Carly Rae Jepsen because (laughs) you were blamed or uh, accused of being responsible for the decision to get Nick Clegg to record a scene-by-scene recreation of the music video of Carly Rae Jepsen's... What was the song? I re- <laughs> oh no! It was I really really like you. I really really like yeah. you. Oh, yeah, yeah. now, um, <laughs> and the original music video stars Tom Hanks. Yes, it does. Yes. What was going through your mind when you thought, "Let's get <laughs> Nick Clegg"? De- at that point, Deputy Prime yes, Minister he was running for um, re-election to get him to walk through the streets of <laughs> Gravesend. Gravesend. Yeah. High-fiving. Yes. Dancing girls. Yeah. yeah. And with, there was a ping pong bat. There was we did a scene in a hotel room. Yeah, the whole whole shebang. Why? Um, I like to think of it now probably as my my Edstone moment, except that I had colleagues that stopped me from uh, making it public. Uh, but, we'd love we'd love that to be public. Yeah, I know, I know that you would. <laughs> I know that you would. How how much has Nick Clegg offered to pay you to make sure that never comes out? He wouldn't need to, you know. I am your loyalty. Still I am totally. And talk, you know, when we've talked about stuff leaking out and all the rest of it, this uh, once again we managed to keep this entirely quiet until Nick mentioned it in front of you. And then I put it in the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as you mentioned it, Stuart, do you want, have you got? Do you want some, any confession you want to make about the Edstone and your involvement in that? Um. Uh, well, my, my involvement was standing at the side of in Hastings watching it get unveiled with the, with the guy who sculpted it standing next to me saying, don't you think it's a good bit of work? And I was saying, it's a you know, great bit of sculpture. And then just Which thinking, just goes to show that politicians will lie when needed. <laughs> 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 and do you know where it is now? I have no idea where the headstone is now, no. no. Maybe it's in the lock-up. I know it's Oh, you, you know do? Who it? The real one. I know where it is, but I'm not telling anyone. Oh, wow. Unless someone wants to pay me a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> it's all in one lockup. There's the, there's the Carly Rae Jepsen video at the Edstone. And, and there was a brilliant speech that Boris. Ne- knickers. There was a brilliant speech that Boris never gave. Which is that the we- one about why Brexit's the wrong thing to do? <laughs> <laughs> no, very early on in the campaign, actually, we had a cracking. A uh, cracking situation where we had one of these dreadful afternoons where Boris had agreed to deliver some speech in the evening as an MP in his previous guise, but we were trying to run a campaign, and this particular speech was about children, and uh, and he was racking his brains, you know, after thinking about cleaner, greener streets and all of this for London, and trying to get into the the mindset of what he was going to deliver at this evening speech, and I can remember saying, "Oh, it's really simple, Boris. You know, I believe that children are the future." teach them well and let them lead the way and we'd got halfway through the first verse of a Whitney Houston song that he was still scribbling down the words before he looked up and said hang on a minute you're messing with me aren't you and then the whole thing got scrapped but it would have been a triumph I thought this is brilliant there's a whole podcast I'll be the headstone for the video 
Terrific. Thank, uh, thank you very much for that. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, uh, where we'd love it if you left a review. You can sign up to my morning email at thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box. But for now, um, thank you so much for coming in. Stuart Wood, Joe Tanner and James Holt. And for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work.